Hello and welcome to the Grove Church Podcast. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there, and we are so glad that you're joining us. Whether you are a member and you're just catching up on a sermon that you missed or you're someone who's brand new, we are really glad that you are joining us. And if you are new in some way, and I know that a lot of people will do that, will listen to sermons first before they visit, I want you to know that we would love to meet you at any point. You can join us live in our services on Sunday, 9 and 1030, or our streaming service at 1030. Either way, we would love to be able to get to know you. And regardless of why you are here uh, listening to this sermon today, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, good morning. Hey, if you are new, I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here, and really glad you are all worshiping with us today. And as Jason mentioned a few minutes ago, we are finishing up a series today called Devoted. We're kind of working our way through this phrase and what Jesus said is the greatest commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And we've been taking each of those in turn, and we're wrapping up today by talking about strength. And we've just kind of been talking about, like, if the greatest commandment is to love God, kind of what are all the ways that we do that? What does that really mean? What does it mean to love Him with your heart, with your soul, with your mind, and now today with strength? And if you were here a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about soul, it was also the Sunday when it was zero, if you remember that. I mean, if you don't remember that Sunday, you remember when it was zero. And I was actually very pleasantly surprised and impressed with how many of us were willing to kind of get out and um, get and and be here on that Sunday, and we we joked about it's a long-standing joke that it was a a double point Sunday, like you got two points for coming instead of the normal one, and it kind of made that joke really to kind of talk about this idea that some of us have felt or maybe even still feel that I I come to church because I have to to kind of earn a God point, but really why we're here, and we talked about that real need for soul connection. And that really is what draws us in a deeper way than just some sense of obligation. I circle back to that because I want to ask the question again, maybe a little bit differently. Do you have to be here? Do you have to be here? Not that God's keeping a spreadsheet of points. Do you have to be here? Is it right to be here? Would it be wrong to not be? Does it matter to God? Does anything really matter to God? Is is it like, do you have to do anything? If God says it, if he commands it, how do you, what is our response to that? And I ask this question that way because I think the older I get and I I feel older every day, uh, I was at a, a daddy-daughter dance last night with our 12-year-old Layla, 12-year-old Layla, and there's nothing that makes me feel older, and it's not being around 12-year-olds, it's being around the parents of other 12-year-olds. Like, hey, there's all people, that's, it looks normal for them to have a 12-year-old, and then there's me, right? Uh, so I, I, the older I get, the more I become convinced that this issue may be the number one theological issue that we have to grapple with if we are going to stay devoted in a committed relationship with God for the rest of our lives. How do I take these two truths that I do not believe contradict but complement each other, which is God loves you through Jesus Christ unconditionally, not based on what you do. And because of what Jesus did for you, you are free. And the Bible is full of a lot of commandments. 
Not suggestions, commandments. What do I do with these two things? Because I speak to a lot of different groups of people, and as some of you may know, I just came back in the middle of December. About 10 of us went to Thailand and to speak to a group of missionaries who were there kind of on a retreat, on a conference uh, from another country in Southeast Asia. And I'm telling you, when you're talking to this group of people, you're talking to a group of people who are more committed and dedicated than probably anyone we know in real life. And they are willing to sacrifice so much to do what they believe is the right thing. And I've talked to so many people that have that sort of mindset that are doing these really incredible things for God. And you can just sense, I can just sense when I'm talking to them, there's a part of them that is struggling and they're doing all of this in part because I have to show God and myself and the world that I can be good enough. So I'm going to do the biggest thing, the most important thing. And they struggle with this battle. I can't really accept that God loves me unconditionally. I've got to be good enough. And I see other people who wrestle with this and they've concluded already, I'll never be good enough. And they are sad, depressed, defeated, and slowly just kind of drift away. And there are other people to be like, that are just kind of like, bro, what are you even talking about? Did you hear the first part? Free. I'm free. Bro, you know what free means? Free means I get to do whatever I want and it doesn't matter. And that just drifts you off a different way. What does it mean in a healthy, balanced way to understand what obedience is with, with the freedom that we have with Christ. And, and Paul says it in a really awesome way where he says, you are free, but don't use that freedom as an opportunity to do whatever you want. And us navigating that, I think, is a critical personal theological struggle balance issue that we need to grapple with if we are going to remain devoted and I love the way that Jesus says it. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It begins with love. I need to love him. That is the core motivation of all of this. I'm not trying to earn anything. I'm not trying to be good enough. I want to love God well. And one of the ways that we love God well is with our strength, which means I love God by doing what he says. I love God by doing what he says. I, if, if, if God says something, one of the ways that I respond to him with love is to do it. When someone you love asks you to do something, it is an act of love to do it. The relationship with God is different because he is not just a friend. He is God. He is a Lord. He is a king. He is a heavenly father. And so his his He's not simply asking, he's commanding. And so it has a certain weight to it. And that is how we show love to someone who has authority over us by responding to what they say. But it is an act of love. And I think it is important for us, no matter where you grew up, whatever your background was, whatever it is you came, wherever you came from, this idea that somehow we are here today to earn something. Everything that matters in our relationship with God was paid for by Jesus Christ and given to you freely through him. 
And now, having received that and been made free, I respond to him with love. And so I want us to be able to build a life, a lasting spiritual life with Jesus Christ, built on that idea that to love God with my strength, is it is a love response to do what he commands us to do. And there's a verse this is where Jesus is speaking. He exemplifies that pretty well in John 14, 21. And if you are the verse memorizing kind or on your Bible app or whatever, you like to favorite, highlight certain verses, I encourage you to just kind of make, put however it is you do, uh, put this one on your list because I think it is an incredibly powerful, important verse. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. So what he's describing here is, a, is really the kind of the process of this relationship. And again, you can, if, you, if you come at this with this negative sort of unbalanced mindset of I have to earn God's love, then you're going to see something different than what's being said here. God's love has been given to you freely through Jesus Christ. What does a relationship with God look like? What is a relation? What does an ongoing deepening relationship look like? I respond to the love that God has given me through Jesus Christ, but through obedience. And when I do that, God is pleased with me and, and the love he has, the love, the love grows and I get to know him and he gets to know me. There's a deepening of relationship. There is a reciprocal thing that happens here that happens in all of relationships. Love is met by more love relationally. And so one of the significant things that I do to show God and to build this depth and love relationship with him is through obedience. I'm going to do the things that he says. And again, putting aside all of the bad theological baggage that can come from feeling like we've got to earn something or we'll never be good to put all that aside. This is just the way a relationship works especially a relationship with God. And so again, we're going to have to put all of this together. And so I want us to just kind of spend some time just kind of breaking some of this down. Like if we, if, if we love God, if one of the primary ways that we can love God is through obedience, what does that really mean? And we'll just start here, that I want to love God by doing what he says. And part of that is I, is I, have, to, I have to love him by, by following his code. He has a code, a moral code, that he says, this is the way you should live. The Bible is full of commandments, some of which we just kind of take, we have, we, we're there, they, we have no objections to, don't murder, don't steal, those sorts of things. Don't lie, we object to it, but not we, we, we know it's wrong, we just do it anyway, right? But we, we're, we're, some of these, they're, they're, we're not going to argue over, right? And then there's some that we, don't, we, we like less, but the Bible is full of commands about the way that you should be living your life. And some of the biggest ones that we, we tend to struggle with have to do with the things that we talk about very often here at the church. What, what, is, a, what, is, a, what is a proper sexual, moral, uh, relational ethic? And what do we do with our money? The Bible is full of commands on those things that are deeply personal and have to do with 
the deepest parts of our life and not just simply what we do, but really getting out of the core of what some of our heart struggles are. And God has laid out a lot of these commands, and I'm sure you have come across at least one. You don't have to admit this in church because you're in church now, but I'm sure you've come across at least one that you look at, I don't like it. I'm, I, don't, I don't like it. I'm not in. Thumbs down. And how you respond to that, how you respond to a command that you don't particularly like really depends very heavily on what your perception of God is. So I'm a dad. I mentioned that. I got a, I got a 12-year-old, Layla, uh, but I also have a 26-year-old and a 23-year-old daughter. I have three daughters. So Layla is 12, but she's not my first 12-year-old. So this is my third 12-year-old. I'm kind of going through all of this again. And now is the time where a particular moral code that dad has is coming to the forefront. Because some of her friends are starting to have boyfriends. They're starting to go out. I roll. Um, they're dating. They like each other and all these things. And she is starting to notice boys um, in ways that she wasn't noticing them, say, three years ago. She's always noticed boys, but now we're noticing them differently. And we've got boys that we like, and we got all these people, and dad has had a very hard rule. 12-year-olds don't date. You don't have a boyfriend. We're not going to joke about it. We're just, that's just, it's, it's, it's a hard line. And every time this comes up, not only have all of the girls questioned, but many of you will come up to me, and you ask this question specifically. Well, when then? When? And then I say, when it makes sense. Now, what does that mean? So, well, tell me, tell me about these twelve-year-olds that are going out. Where do they, where do they go? Twelve-year-old can't go anywhere. They don't go any place. I remember having this conversation with Maylee. She was describing this relationship that was happening in her when she was twelve. It's like, yeah, they're going out. It's like, where do they? Go? What? They don't go anywhere. Well, I mean, do they sit together at lunch? Oh, no, no, they would never do. That. Then, what does it mean? It means they like each other. Like. Then why don't we just leave it at that? But Layla, she was, she was pressing. This was over, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We're sitting over the 3,000-piece puzzle working on. We're having this deep philosophical conversation. She's like, Dad, well, but when, though? But when? So let me explain to you what dating is. Dating is a process that you go through to figure out who you're going to spend the rest of your life with. And she goes, whoa, 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 Dad, whoa. I'm not ready for that. And I'm not telling you that you have to have that. I'm not, that. That is not the point of this. My point of this is not to tell you that you should make this should be a part of your code. The point of this is it is part of our code in our family. And our girls have struggled with it at the time and then even after thinking back about it. But the reason why, the reason where the buy-in really comes is what do they really believe about me? Do they believe that I'm good? Do they believe that I love them? and that what I want is in their best interest. Do they believe that? And I think that they do. And so there have been some times where we've laid some things out that they've, we've asked them to do that they have not wanted to do, but they have gone along because they believe those things. Dad is good. He loves me. And he believes this is in my best interest. But unlike me, God is always good. God is always full of love. And he is not just simply 
thinks this might be in your best interest. He is the creator designer of the universe. And because he loves you and because he is good and he is always acting in your best interest, then you can know for sure that the things that he is asking you to do are good for you. Because sometimes I believe that we have treated um, God's commands as if we're on some sort of reality show. Anybody ever watch the show Wipeout? Like you're just trying to navigate some really difficult obstacle course, and if I can make it all the way through, I win. And God's putting up obstacles in front of you just to make it difficult for you, just to see if you're strong enough, committed enough, good enough. When really he is the creator designer of the universe who was telling you, you want life? Believe this. Follow this. Do this. Not because you have to, because I have to. This is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I want. I want life. I, this, uh, this is what I want. Life. I have to do it. Not I have to do it. I have to do it because of who he is and the life that I want to have. But it's a little bit more than that. And we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this next one, but it's a little bit more than that. Then I want to make sure that we understand not only his code, but also his mission. He has given you a purpose, a directive in life. And it's pretty broad in some, some areas. You know, he is, we, we, we work, um, we have family, we have friends, we have community, we worship together. There's a part of that that all is encompassing in the mission that God has given us on this life. But we do not live a directionless life. We live a life with a very specific mission. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. He also said that we are to go and make disciples of all nations He has called us to be carriers of hope and life to a world that is desperate for it. And it is my hope and desire that we would be known as a community that is doing this together, that we are partnering together with one another to do what we can to bring hope and life to our community and to our world. It happens every Sunday. It happens every Sunday. Someone new will walk in. Hopefully they are greeted well and loved well by someone. And they have a great opportunity to meet some people if they're dropping off their kids and all the people, all the work that is done here behind the scenes to make all of this happen. And, and the worship and all of that, like a great opportunity for us to one another and to new people to bring the hope of Jesus to people. And we use our financial resources. We use our service you are using the influence that you have with people in your neighborhood, at your work, in your school to invite them. And we all together, working together, are trying to bring hope and life to the world. Whether it be from community care to our, our, our food pantry to just telling people about Jesus by inviting them to worship, by loving them, by meeting the needs around you. This is what we're doing You have a lot of freedom and a lot of the choices that you make about how you live your life, kind of what your job is and where you live, but your mission regardless is the same. We've been called to bring carriers of life and light to a world that needs it. And so if I'm going to love God well, I'm going to love God by doing what he says. I'm going to uh, love him well by following his code. I'm going to love God well uh, by following his mission. And really... I'm going to save this kind of this one for last. It's kind of a, a, 
a, a bigger idea here that I want to make sure that we all understand that really what this means is I love God by doing what he says, not just his code, his mission, but really everything. This is everything. And that may feel a little overwhelming at first, but really everything that we do in one way or another should try to reflect the love that we have for God. And there's a verse that gets pulled out of context, and I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to pull that out of context. We're just going to kind of look at it. And we're going to talk about the way that people try to misunderstand it and misuse it, and then we're going to put it back in its context and try to understand it. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So whatever you do, eating, drinking, whatever, anything that you do, do it for the glory of God. There's a couple of different ways that people will want to try to use this verse. Some people will be like, man, that sounds like freedom to me. Whatever it is I do, I'm doing it for God's glory. God, this is for your glory, right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to eat and drink and just do whatever I want as long as I say it's for God's glory. Or you can go the other way and it can just feel like a really weird pressuring verse. You get up this morning and you start brushing your teeth and it's like, am I brushing my teeth for the glory of God today? God, I just pray that you'll be glorified by the cleanliness of my teeth and good dental care and like, please, and it's like, like, and you can feel paralyzed. I thought I just brushed my teeth, did my hair today, but like, I think I did, I forgot to do it for the glory of God. And then you can feel like because some of the things I'm just doing, I'm just living life, I'm failing because I didn't, quote, do it for the glory of God. But the context of this is actually a very specific one. He's talking to them about this issue that is unique to them. Um, it is not unique to Mark. If you've ever heard Mark tell stories about being in India, it is something that he has, he has firsthand experienced, these sorts of things, where you are ha- they were having meals in people's homes, that were not believers, and the food that they were using was part of a religious sacrifice to an idol, and now they are serving the food that has been sacrificed and dedicated to a false god. Is it okay to eat that? This is a real question. It's a a deep question. What do you do? And Paul fails to give them a direct answer to that. You're going to choose one or the other. Whichever one you choose, whatever it is you choose to do, you make sure that you are doing it with a heart that says, I want God to be glorified. I want to do, I want to honor God and love God with the decision that I make. Because the reality is, is the Bible, the life is full of things Moral questions about what is the right thing to do in this situation, full of situations that the Bible does just does not, does not answer for you. Let's just go back to dating. What does it mean to honor God in your dating life? If you look to the Bible and look for advice on how to date, you're going to be really disappointed because it's going to tell you that your dad picks out your spouse and then that's it. And then you just do nothing else matters, which, depending on how old you are and how old your kids are, starts to look pretty good. <laughs> Worse ideas. Because here's the thing that we believe: it's part of the grow from the very beginning. 
Everything that the Bible says is true, but not everything that's true is in the Bible. And so we don't, we don't know. There's, there's certain things like that, that, that just kind of have a bit of uncertainty to them where people draw different lines in different places about what is appropriate to watch or, or, or not watch or how, how, how should I manage my, 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 my screen time or my screen time for my kids or these sorts of things. And, and the Bible gives us some principles about life but doesn't specifically address these issues. What do we do? Do we have freedom to just kind of do whatever we want? And this is the question that the Corinthians are asking that Paul is answering. It's like, yes, you have freedom, but really you need to think about what brings the most honor to God in this circumstance for you. Again, let's not take this too far. There are some things where God has made it very clear. This is right. This is wrong. But then there's some things where it just seems a little vague. And I'll use an example. It is a very popular example to use. If you were here last week, um, I made a joke. It wasn't really a joke. I guess I said it in a funny way, but it's true. I, really don't, like co- I don't like coffee. It, tastes, it, doesn't taste, it doesn't taste good. And somebody over here told me that I need to add sugar to it. And it was a great little moment. And that it's just, it's just bitter. I don't like it. So I don't like it. No matter how hard people try, I can't, no matter what concoction you make, I still don't like it. I could have also said at that time, I could have also said I feel the same way about beer or wine or really any alcoholic drink. I didn't bring it up then because it would have been overwhelmingly distracting. Not that me bringing up coffee wasn't also distracting because most, some of you got really mad at me. I apologize. Uh, I, 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 I can say the same thing about beer. I, I take a drink of beer. Like, just that bitterness, it just gets me. I just don't, I don't like it. And like, I'll try this wine though. It's really sweet. And you and I have very different definitions of the word sweet. It's not, it's not sweet. It is bitter. Like, no, no, I, I can make you something. I can make you something. And they'll make me something that is akin to some sort of fruit punch. And I'll take it and I'll take a drink and like, mm, fruit punch. And like, can I just have the fruit punch, please? Right? Like I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like it. And even in me just kind of telling you this story about my certain adventures I've had with alcohol and telling you that there are people who are trying to get me to want to drink alcohol has made a few of you uncomfortable. Pastor getting up there talking about very freely about alcohol. I thought, I thought we're supposed to be weird about this. And we've chosen as a church we're not going to be weird about it. We have a very clear yet vague idea about what alcohol is. Like, is here, here's our policy always has been. Alcohol is fine until it isn't. It's like, oh, what does that mean? Well, you know what it means. Everybody knows what it means. I don't have to explain that. I could. You know what it means. It's fine until it's not. And a lot of us have made a lot of different choices around it. And honestly, we make different choices based on different circumstances. Pastored a church in St. Louis, Missouri for a few years I don't know if you've ever spent a lot of time with Midwestern Catholics, but they have a different perspective (laughs) about alcohol than they do in the church that we came in before in Cabot, Arkansas. It's a dry county. If you don't know what that is, look it up. And so there were a lot of places where I got offered a lot of beer and a a lot of alcohol in places where they, hey, come to their house, hey, and they would just hand it to me. What is the right thing to do there? 
What is the right way to honor and love God in that situation is different than the way that I honor and love God in Cabot, Arkansas is different than the way that we do it here. Whether I choose to eat or choose to drink, yes or no, isn't the question. The question is in the decision that I make. Am I making this decision to bring honor and glory to God? Or am I just doing what I want to do? What feels good to me? And if we are going to love God with all of our strength, then we're going to have just a different reasoning process by which we decide how we're going to live. Again, there are certain things where God has made himself very clear. He's got a code. And I want to honor and love him by living that out. He has given me a mission and I want to spend my life figuring out what my particular role and his big picture mission is. And I want to do that. But in reality, if I'm going to love God with all of my strength, then even in the places where I seem to have freedom, I want to do it in a way that brings honor to this relationship. I want to show God that I love him even in areas where there's a little ambiguity, a little bit of freedom. I'm not going to be somebody who's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tighten up all the rules and be as strict on myself as I can to show God in the world that I'm serious. But I'm also not going to be like, man, you get to do whatever you want. It doesn't even matter. Whatever I choose, in whatever the situation, no matter how vague or complex or uncertain, with God, I'm going to attempt to do the thing that I believe brings the most honor and glory to him. Why? Because I love him. Because he has given me everything through his son, Jesus Christ. He has given it to me for free. And he has set me free from a life that was overwhelmed and burdened by sin. And now I have life and freedom in him. And I don't have to, but I, I, I have to. I have to respond. I have to show him. I want to show him. I need to show him. Maybe we'll say that. I don't have to obey. I need to. I need to for me. And I need to as a love response to the one who has loved me so much. So if he says, this is what I'm supposed to do, I'm going to try to do it. If he says, don't do that, I'm going to try not to do it. If he says, this is my mission, I'm going to try to live it. And I find myself in weird situations. I'm going to give it the thoughtfulness it deserves to figure out what is best to honor him. And I'm not going to allow my brain to crush me when I fail that somehow I've lost something with God. And I'm not going to think that I'm better than anybody else because I succeeded. But with humility and trust and a heart desire to love him, I'm going to love him with all of my strength. Let me pray. God, that feels easy to explain and hard to live.
Sometimes it's hard for those truths to kind of sink in. God, we're not great with freedom, but we're not great with rules either. And we battle. And so God, I do pray that we would just get to the heart of it. That our lives need to be love responses to you. That if you ask, we'll do it. Not because we have to, but because we get to. And that God, through that response, that God, that we would experience your love in deeper and deeper ways, that we would get to know you in deeper and deeper ways, that we would be known in deeper ways. And that God, we could experience real life with you by submitting our freedom to the life that you have called us to. And God, I pray that we could be people who do it with joy. And as always, we are so thankful for your son, Jesus Christ, who makes this possible. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Thanks again for joining us on our sermon podcast. And you can learn more about us at thegrovechurch.org. And if you go to thegrovechurch.org slash connect, there's a form you could fill out. Just let us know that you've been listening. And if you want to dig deeper on some of these topics that we cover on our sermon podcast or just in other issues of dealing with culture or theology, those kinds of things, uh, you can check out our Cultivate podcast, which is on the same feed, um, however you found this particular podcast. So again, this is Charlie, the lead pastor at The Grove, and thank you so much for joining us.